0: in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today, going to be wrapping up 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I've got to be honest up front, before we get started, uh, we uh, at the end of chapter 6, getting into chapter 7, we are getting into some very tough text in Scripture, Um, but I believe as a faithful congregation walking through 1 Corinthians together, we need to be faithful in uh, teaching and the understanding of all the texts and therefore not skipping them. And so I recognize that if you look at today's topic, if you've read ahead, uh, difficult topic, we also recognize that there are little ears in the room. So I'm gonna do my best to accommodate for that. So parents help me out with that. But parents also hope and understand that you also carry the great responsibility of teaching these truths to your children as well. And they need to hear them from you before they hear them from other places. Okay, so if they're not learning them from you, they're not learning them from the church according to the word, then where are they learning these things from? And so I want us to bear that in mind as we get into uh, this text today. Now I got to tell you that um, in looking at this text and thinking about this text, I was quickly uh, kind of reminded of growing up uh, as a kid in the 80s and 90s and I got to tell you, as a child, um, and I I feel bad for kids today, uh, kids today didn't have the same TV shows that we had growing up in the 80s and 90s. And I know there are older generations in the room who would say, yeah, but you didn't have the shows that we had. And I get that and understand that you had some good shows too. Uh, My parents were faithful in making sure I watched many of those as well. But I want to speak specifically to what we had uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s. We had a variety of shows that we could watch, and it was fantastic. We had The Muppet Show, okay? And I'm not talking about The Muppet Babies. That's a weird animal in and of itself. I'm talking about the original Jim Hansen's The Muppet Show that would come on in the evenings. We had that. I remember on Friday evenings, before being a high schooler and going to to football games, I remember Friday evenings, we had TGIF. We had things like Full House and Family Matters. Shows that showed... Uh, really the beauty of of, of family and the difficulties and responsibilities that come with being a family. These were great shows to watch, but I got to be honest with you. One of my all-time favorite shows that I've ever watched was the American Gladiators. (laughs) I still remember the theme song, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, when I hear the theme song in my house, I'm thinking the TV's on and the show is on. I mean, you got to remember, if you didn't experience, and I'm not talking about the American Gladiators, by the way, that Dwayne Johnson tried to redo uh, about five, six, seven, eight years ago. I'm talking about the originals, okay? Now, I don't know if you remember seeing this show or watching this show. Now, I understand ESPN did a documentary about these guys, and it's really tragic what they had to go through, but I didn't know that as a kid. So growing up watching these shows, I watched men and women who were really larger than life with incredibly strong names like Gemini, Laser storm saber you know awesome names larger than life competitors champions at what they do competing against the average person and it was just incredible to watch as a kid it it combined several of my favorite things sports and combat i mean i was the typical kid i loved sports i loved baseball i loved football but I also loved playing war in the woods with my friends i loved i loved battles i loved wrestling And so this show was the perfect combination for a kid like me. I mean, just think about the names, even of the games that they played. They had a game called Assault. You may not know what that is, but it was the greatest game ever. These average dudes had to hit a target above a gladiator while he was shooting tennis balls at them. I really think we might need one of those next to the pulpit as well. Cute kid here, Assault tennis ball shooter here might help revolutionize some of the service that we have. I remember they had a game called The Eliminator. It was the very last game that they played, and my favorite part about this was it was a race through through multiple apparatuses, and then one of my favorites uh, was they had to climb over a barrier at the end and then run through a paper wall, and on the other side of that wall, it was either open and they could run to the finish line, or there was a gladiator in their path with a pad on And I kept hoping, please bust through the wall where there's a gladiator. I want to see the collision. They had games like joust. And what could be better than the joust? Taking a gladiator and an average person, sticking them 15 to 20 feet in the air on a small piece, like a small pad, and then saying, hit each other until someone falls. But I got to tell you, my favorite game of all time was Breakthrough and Conquer. What a great name for a game, by the way. I just love the title of that game. Now, this game for the American Gladiators combined football with wrestling, and so what the the competitor had to do was they had to run past a gladiator before getting tackled and getting to the end zone, and then immediately recover, step inside a circle, and either push the gladiator out of the ring or stay in the ring as long as possible. It was a great game. It was the, the perfect game for a kid like me in the 90s. But here's what amazed me the most. It amazed me that every time the gladiators came out, every time the competitors would come out, these men and women would put their bodies through the ultimate test and they would do it for personal glory. In fact, that was the desires of their heart, was what can I put my body through all for personal glory, for competitors, it was the desire to beat the gladiators and be a champion. For the gladiators, it was the desire to be the best. And they would do anything and everything possible to stop these competitors. Now, when I think about our text today, I really believe that the Corinthian Christians had this same goal in mind. I believe that they thought to themselves, how can we satisfy the body for our own personal glory. What can we do to the body that is just far enough to where it's okay where we're meeting our desires and ultimately satisfying the lusts that are found within the body? How do we bring personal glory to what we now permit our bodies to go through? You see, for the Corinthian Christians, whether it was food or whether it was the lust of the world, the goal was to enjoy what the body desired. And as we look at our text, Paul is going to teach the Corinthian Christians how we should glorify God with our bodies and not our own desires. Paul does this by teaching the church what it means to now have a body built for glory. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join with me. We're reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we will begin reading in verse 12. And I would ask that once you have found your place in the Word of God, that you would stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now again, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and one. So glorify God in your body. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now clearly what we have in this text and what is going to be our central theme is Paul going after the sexual sin that has now plagued the Corinthian Christians. He's going to do this really by starting out by attacking some of their own beliefs and some of their own slogans that they live by in order to further define what it is that they mean and what it is that they were talking about. You see, they were claiming that everything was permissible and they used the example of not only everything being permissible, but they also used the example of how the stomach was made for food and food for the stomach. Now, what we see happening for the Corinthian Christians, they were actually using these phrases and slogans to justify meeting their own sexual desires. And so what Paul will do is he's actually going to refute this argument by reminding the Corinthian Christians that there is a particular purpose for their bodies, And so what they do with their bodies actually matters. So Paul will teach the Corinthian Christians that they should have a body built for glory. And he teaches this lesson by answering the question, how should we build up the body? And what we're going to see this morning is that this is actually answered and and found in, in three statements that Paul says, as believers, we should already know. So let's look at these three statements together. Verses 12 through 14, Paul tells us first that we need to know that the body is meant for the Lord. Notice in verse 12 how Paul opens by quoting a slogan that the Corinthian Christians believed in. And he actually quotes the slogan twice. He says, all things are lawful for me. Now, chances are this particular phrase was probably used for the Corinthian Christians and by the Corinthian Christians to justify doing whatever it is they wanted to do with their bodies. Now, Paul doesn't reject outright this particular phrase completely, but he does want to define the phrase a little better, or better yet to qualify it a bit more, in order to keep the believers from abusing what it was that they were saying. In fact, on either side of this particular phrase, In verse 12, he says, but not all things are helpful. And then after repeating it again, he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Notice how Paul warns the Corinthian Christians that just because something is there and available does not mean it is helpful nor useful to us. Sure, it might be good, but we should not allow it to master us as believers. Even if it is allowable. In other words, what Paul is teaching the Corinthian Christians through attacking this particular slogan is this. There is such a thing called moderation. There is such a thing as being faithful to what the Word of God allows. You see, Paul was concerned in general that the Corinthian Christians would find themselves enslaved to something that in and of itself may or may not be wrong, but too much of it would be wrong. In fact, Paul would go on to say to the church of Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And let me unpack what Paul's saying, both here and, and in our text in Galatians that we just read, too much of a good thing can't become bad. Especially when we allow that thing to now dominate and control our lives. So, Up front, let me say to you, yes, enjoy the freedom and the gifts that we have been given by the grace of God. However, don't abuse them or use them for selfish gain. Now, coming back to the text, Paul then draws upon a second slogan or a second phrase that's used by the Corinthian Christians in verse 13. He said, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now, it's unclear as to where this phrase began, where it exactly ends, but one thing that's very clear is that the Corinthian Christians were using this particular phrase to justify the meeting of all of their desires in every aspect of their life beyond food. And so Paul responds to them by saying, and God will destroy Both one and the other. In other words, Paul says that God will put an end to both food and he will put an end to the stomach and its appetite. In other words, what Paul is teaching the Corinthian Christians is this. The appetite that characterizes this world will not continue in the world that is coming. Our worldly desires will cease as we enter and seek the kingdom of God that is to come. And so the question we now have to ask ourselves is why seek those worldly desires now when there is something greater coming? So you see, based Upon where Paul goes next, it can easily be assumed that the Corinthian Christians were using each of these phrases to justify meeting their own sexual desires. Paul says in the text, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Here Paul teaches that the body was not created for sexual desire. It was not created for sexual sin. Rather, it was created for the sake of the Lord. Therefore, in our lives, we should be doing that which pleases the Lord. Which means we need to put an end to all of our desires. We need to put an end to all of our lusts that take us beyond what the Word of God calls good. So Paul teaches That again, the body was meant for the Lord, and it is the Lord who is now over the body for the benefit of the believer. Thus, we flourish as we seek to follow the will of God for the body and not the worldly desires of man. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, we live in a world that seeks to justify sexual sin as being okay. And this world doesn't understand why we as Christians live the way we do and follow the commands that we have been given. So in those moments, when the world tries to tell us it's okay to look at this, it's okay to think this, it's okay to seek this beyond what God has commanded. We should be able to look back at the world and say, we are not okay with your standards. For we ourselves have a standard according to the word. And we are not okay with meeting those desires, especially the ones that take us beyond what the word allows in the form of marriage. I mean, if our body is meant for the Lord, then it means that the Lord should be in control of our body. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, How does our sexual sin reflect that control? The reality is, if we find ourselves in that sin, it does not reflect the control of the Lord. Coming back to the text, Paul actually closes this section in verse 14 and he says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Here Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians that the body itself is significant. We are not just withholding desires just because we want, to, we want to punish ourselves, but rather, Jesus himself has a plan for our bodies. God has a plan for our bodies. Our bodies will not be disregarded. So Paul says, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so too will our bodies be raised in power. And not by our own doing, but because of what Christ has done. So as, as believers in Christ today, We need to recognize that that our bodies, our hearts, our minds, we're, we're all connected to the body of Christ. And just as there was a plan for Jesus Christ, and we see Christ conquer death, and we see a resurrection, so too is there a plan for the body. In other words, when it comes to our lives, death itself is not the end of our story. There's this thing called eternal life. And we didn't achieve it ourselves, but rather... It was a free gift of God through the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we now can know eternal life. So you see, our bodies, in order to be built up, must be viewed in light of the fact that our bodies are meant for the Lord. They're not meant for our own sins. They're meant for for him. Thus, we should not waste away the body that we have been given. We should not waste away into our sexual desires and our sexual desir- uh, sins that please for a moment, but ultimately, what they leave us is they leave us lacking. So you see, for Paul, our bodies, since they now are the Lord's, our bodies are now more significant than pleasures that simply fade. So let's not begin to spiral and sink into into justifying our sin the way the Corinthian Christians did until we get to a point where where we think there is no way out. And so we're going to come up with phrases where we think all of a sudden these things are good. No, your body belongs to the Lord. So I want to say to you today, wherever you find yourself, remember that you belong to him. So I want to ask you this morning before you dive into your your sexual desires, before you just dive into the lusts, whether they're, they're physical, intimate, sexual, whatever they may be, can I ask you in this moment, do you pause and take stock that what you are about to do to the body is what you are doing to the body that now belongs to the Lord? A body that will be raised in power. You see, here's the beauty of it. Paul says you have power because there's this thing, again, called the resurrection. And so guess what? Since we too will be raised, we now have the power to overcome our sins. But Paul's not done here. He doesn't just end with the thought that the body was meant and belongs to the Lord. No, he's going to go one step further in order to help build up the body. And know this, Paul says, second point, know this, that the body is a member of Christ. Verses 15 through 18. So Paul here teaches that, that we don't just, we, we are just meant for Christ. We don't just belong to Christ. No, we're going to go one step further that, that now that since we belong to Christ, we are now a part of Christ. We are a member of the body of Christ. Verse 15, he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? By the way, there's our favorite phrase again that we talked about a few chapters ago. Do you not know? More on that in a moment. Verse 15 continues, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Notice here that Paul teaches that sexual sin is completely and totally incompatible for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Since we are now followers of Christ and now members of the body of Christ. Now, this actually goes along with what Paul's going to say later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, when he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So as part of the body of Christ, we now enjoy a relationship with him that is both intimate and personal. Thus, what we do with our bodies, in the case of the Corinthian Christians, sexual sin that they were seeking to justify, represents who we now are in Christ. And then catch what Paul says here. He says the word prostitute. You make them members of a prostitute. Now here Paul uses harsh language to communicate to the Corinthian Christians in order to help them understand that their sin that they were seeking to justify was unjust Thinkable and completely outrageous. In other words, there is now no place to justify this sin in the church as being okay. And that's exactly what the Corinthian Christians were seeking to do. Paul goes on from there in verses 16 and 17. And he now responds to the argument being made by the Corinthian Christians that what we do with our bodies, even in our sin, is of no concern or basically no consequence to our lives. They were literally saying everything's okay. We can do what we want to do. You got a desire? Go meet the desire. You see someone and you say, I want that. You go get it. And that's okay. Paul responds. Look with me. Verse 16 and 17. He says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, as one scholar notes, this this way of thinking for the Corinthian Christians was similar to to what Athenaeus said about his own life and his own times and and thinking about our own desires. He said this, We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for daily concubinage, but wives in order to produce children legitimately and to have a trustworthy guardian of our domestic property. Okay, let me sum that up, because that was a lot. Now again, ladies, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not a girl. I don't know what you go for. But for the fellas, okay? Imagine for a moment, fellas, trying that line on your wife. Imagine saying that to your wife the next time you look at another woman lustfully. Imagine saying that to your wife when you get caught watching something that you know you should be turning away from. Imagine her seeing you and you looking at her and then you say to her, hey, sweetheart, honey, whatever you call it. I just want you to know this is okay because mistresses are meant for pleasure, concubines for daily concubinage, and really what you're good for is birthing children and taking care of the property. So while I'm enjoying this, why don't you go cut the grass? Fellas, Please don't go home and say this to your wife because I promise you this is going to be their response back. They're going to look at you with all the love that they can muster in that moment and say, Well, dear husband, man, not of my dreams. (laughs) Matthew chapter 18, verse 9, now comes to mind where it says, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Here's your spoon. Listen, guys, Paul's point as members of the body of Christ is we are now in no way able to justify our desires that lead us to sexual sin. Paul even talks about how when, when we are with a, with a prostitute, we are literally joined together as one, as one body. So what Paul is teaching here is that physical sexual relationships form a profound relationship between two people. Thus, that relationship should never be taken lightly. Now, to connect all these points together, we continue in verse 17, and here's what Paul adds. He says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You see, for Paul, since we are now members of the body of Christ, who now are meant for Christ, meaning we now belong to Christ, we now share our spirit with him. Thus, When when sexual sin is introduced into our lives, we are no longer building the body because what we're doing is breaking it down and tarnishing the bond that now exists between us and Christ. This is what leads Paul to then say in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. You see, for Paul, casual sexual encounters severs the relationship and the bond that we now have with Christ. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you something, guys. I don't know if we understand it. And by guys, I mean everybody. Everybody in the room. I don't know if we really understand the meaning of the word flee. Okay, Paul's not saying casually walk away. Casually put your hand up and say, no, thank you, I'm good. Paul's not saying throw out the red card and say stop. No, he means run. Run away from it. I mean, he's probably, think, think more like a Joseph and Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife in Genesis chapter 39 when she grabbed his garment and said to him, lie with me. And what did Joseph do? He ran right out of his garment and he didn't look back. You see, sexual sin is so serious in the word of God that we are called to run from it, not justify it the way the Corinthian Christians were trying to do and the way our world is trying to do today. In fact, Paul, in, in writing to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, we got the will of God at play and your own personal sanctification. And here's what he says, for the will of God, for your own personal sanctification, here's what you need to know, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Notice what Paul is teaching. He's teaching the Corinthians the same thing He's going to teach to the Thessalonians and that is this. When it comes to sexual sin, when it comes to even the desires that may creep into our heart, the desires that may may creep into our mind, we need to run from them. So we're not just talking about putting to death sin, we're talking about fighting it at the level of desire. And we are called to abstain, meaning shut it down completely. Paul then continues. And he explains why he says to flee from sexual immorality. Verse 18, he says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, these are actually interesting words chosen by Paul here, but let's just kind of follow his logic for a moment, okay? Um, Let's think about it in terms of... uh, Let's use uh, alcoholism here for a second and and, and gluttony. Okay, so if I'm I'm getting close to home, I apologize for that. This is not towards anyone personal. I just want to compare alcoholism to gluttony to sexual sin. And I want us to see the differences that Paul talks about. When it comes to alcoholism and gluttony, these sins are actually committed by us on our own. Whereas sexual sin, the sin that that Paul is talking about, the sin that the, the Corinthian Christians were trying to justify, these actually involved other people. Other people who are, who are image bearers of God. When it comes to alcoholism and gluttony, they involve tools like, like alcohol. They involve tools like, like food, the constant eating of food for our own personal desires. There's, there's, a, there's another tool there. But when it comes to sexual sin, the tool itself is the body. A body that is meant for God, that is now a member of the body of Christ. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, sexual sin, unlike other sins, are committed with others. Those others being those created in the image of God and it's committed with the body. That which is now a part of Jesus Christ and now belongs to Christ. So let's just follow this out for a moment. As members of Christ, when we commit sexual sin, whether outwardly, even inwardly, we are hurting the body which now belongs to Christ. And we're not just hurting the body, we're hurting another person. Some would make this argument. and I've heard this argument recently through, through just different podcasts and whatnot that I've been listening to. Some would say, well, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm okay with it because I'm not hurting another person. I'm just simply watching. And it's just me by myself. So so who am I hurting at this point? Paul would say to you, you're hurting the person you're watching. Because whether they know it or not, that person was created in the image of God. And every time you click that button, you are showing them that a desire is being met and they will continue to produce. And that person is being destroyed their soul is being ripped to pieces. That person is created in the image of God. And that watching is creating in us a desire for something that is not ours. Some would then go on to argue this. Well, in this particular story, that that body, that moment, that was art. So why can't I watch it? And let me tell you something. The body is a beautiful thing. The body itself is art, if you really think about it. I mean, the stuff that we can do with our body, it's unbelievable. I mean, it really is unbelievable what we can do. I mean, I got a chance to to watch just how how beautiful the body is and the art of the body when I get to watch uh, my kids play sports that they love. It's just amazing what they're able to do. At the same time, I literally watched a video this week of a man who threw a cake 12 rows into a concert and hit a dude square in the face. And I was like, that was amazing. How did he do that with a a sheet cake? Like, how does your arm get that kind of rotation? The body does that sort of stuff. The body allows us to accomplish incredible things, make, make incredible things. And so, yes, there is art there. But all of a sudden, when we're, when we're staring at another person's body with, with our own lusts in mind, with our own desires, at the center of what we're doing and seeing, we need to realize that that art is created by God. And God did not intend for us to lust after another person's body, especially when that person is not our spouse. You see, here's what's happened in our society today. We have now blurred the lines of art and the line of desire. And guys, we should not be okay, fellas, ladies, we should not be okay when that line is crossed. So let me ask you this question. Do we see that as Christians, we are members of the body of Christ? Do we see today that all people are created in the image of God or is this what we do? Do we follow what the Corinthian Christians were doing and then we look at people lustfully as if they were a prostitute used only for the purpose of meeting our desires? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to remember who we are and who we now belong to. And as Paul says, flee, run. Run from sexual immorality. And man, I got to tell you, Paul is already laying this stuff on thick in terms of the justification of sexual sin and what the Corinthian Christians were trying to justify. But here's what he's going to do next. He's going to create a little more tension by reminding the Corinthian Christians of that which they should already know. So let's get to point number three. First, we see that we were meant, our body was meant for the Lord. Secondly, we see the body was a, a member of Christ. Thirdly, see this, verse 19 and 20. Know that the body is a temple. It's a temple of the Lord. Now notice how Paul opens this last section with with one of his favorite phrases. I told you we'd come back around to this. He says, or do you not know? Now we've already seen earlier in 1 Corinthians where Paul has actually used this phrase repeatedly. It's really used as, as sarcasm because he knows that they know that they should really know better than by this point, you know? Right? Did everybody follow that? Or did I lose you? If I lost you, I'll explain it later. Look at the text, verse 19. Paul says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you who you have from God. Paul, in in using the phrase, the temple of the Holy Spirit, again, he's using some very strong language here to remind the Corinthian Christians of who they are and ultimately who they they belong to. Now follow with me for a second here, okay? Let's go all the way back to to Leviticus chapter 16 and see the temple in Jerusalem was the place where the Lord dwelt with his people. There There was holiness that surrounded the temple. In fact, the holiness of the temple itself was seen in the really the amount of the preparation needed before you could even enter into the temple. Now what makes it more interesting is in order to enter the temple, only the high priest himself who had been set apart, meaning that sacrifices had been made, offerings had been offered, he was wearing clean clothes, From top to bottom. And by the way, when we talk sacrifices, we're talking animals. So by this point, there's blood on said clothes. Only at that point, after being set apart, could he enter into the most holy place. And here's the catch. He could only do it once a year. And it was the Day of Atonement. So when we read Leviticus 16... Being in the presence of the Lord in the most holy place had to take special and serious care to enter into, which meant the priest had to enter into the most holy places one day a year, and he entered undefiled and unstained by sin. Fast forward to the Gospels. We see Jesus Christ enter the world. Christ enters the world, and now God's presence, and this is the thanks be to God moment, God's Presence is no longer limited to the temple. Why? Because God is permanently present in the church. God in his spirit is permanently present in the body of believers. Remember, Paul says as much if you go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, do you not know, there's our phrase again, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. You see, because we are now the temple that the Spirit indwells, Paul then goes back to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, and he concludes by saying this. He says, you are not your own. You see, as the creator of the universe, God is seen in all of His creation, and yet that same God, by the Spirit of God, now dwells in believers. Thus the body is a temple. The body is meant to be holy and therefore as believers in Christ we need to be careful that we do not defile the temple which is our bodies. Which means this. We cannot allow the body to be defiled by sexual sin. I love what Thomas Schreiner says about this particular point. He says this, believers are no longer autonomous. They are not the sovereign authority in their lives. Instead, they live under God's authority since they belong to him and are indwelt by him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not our own. According to Paul, we are now the temple where God dwells. And so we need to ask ourselves, as way of reminder, Again, do you not know? Do you recognize that the Spirit of God lives within you? Coming back to the text, Paul continues in verse 20 of why we are not our own. He says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. See what Paul's doing here? He's just laid a heavy burden and conviction upon the Corinthian Christians about their justification of their sexual sin. And then he reminds them of the price that was paid for them. In other words, he gives them hope. He says, we have been ransomed by Jesus Christ. Therefore, we now belong entirely to God. And this is good news for the believer because as believers in Christ, we have now been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, in grace, we now belong to God. Thus, our bodies are the temple where the Spirit of God dwells, and as such, we are under His Lordship. Since God loves us, since He gave His Son for the payment of our sin, we are now called to glorify God with our bodies. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to ask you this morning, are you struggling with some sort of sexual sin? Maybe it's a physical thing, a mental thing, a thing you see, a thing you watch, something you know you should not partake in. Maybe it's a sin of your past that's been eating away at you Can I just encourage you to hear the words of God through Paul this morning? You are now the temple of God. You are now the place where the Spirit now indwells within you, and you have been set free by the blood of Christ. Therefore, you are no longer enslaved to sin. Therefore, glorify God with this body, with this temple that God himself has created, provided for, and set free. Paul literally says, brothers and sisters in Christ, now go and glorify God, the one who created you, the one who sustains you, the one who has set you free. Now you may be wondering at this point, what in the world does all of this have to do with the American gladiators? Great question. Several years ago, I found myself in a gym, and in this gym, as you'd go in to work out, they always had motivational posters and signs that they'd made. They were all over the wall, quotes from great people, quotes from some strange people that I'd never heard of. But one week they posted a poster that they had made, and there was my childhood heroes, wearing their American Gladiator uniforms, flexing, being awesome, all of them. And here's what the poster read, garbage in, garbage out. You see, when we enslave ourselves to our sexual sin, in whatever form it comes or looks like, then what we are doing is we are filling our body and our mind with garbage. And then guess what comes out? Garbage. If we're going to fill our lives with anything, let's make sure that what we fill our lives with is that which honors God. And Paul tells us what we are to do with this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Look at what he says there. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, what is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Brothers and sisters, as God's chosen people, let's place our eyes, our heart, our mind, and our bodies on what Matters Why? Because we are seeking a body built for glory. And as such, we know that we are meant for the Lord. In other words, we now belong to Him. We know that we are members of Christ, meaning that we are now a part of Him, and we are the temple. We are the place where the Spirit of God now dwells. So let's go and glorify God in our bodies. Let's flee, run from our sexual sins and the desires that come with it. And let's run towards, uh, or to, or away excuse me, from that which seeks to divide us from Jesus Christ. And let's run towards the grace, the goodness, the beauty, and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord. I want to leave you with this closing thought from John Calvin, who actually had a lot to say. I really found a sermon of his similar to this text. I could have just read it to you. I'll take a quote from it. John Calvin said it this way about this particular passage. He said, and the whole of this passage is this. You read it? This is good. To magnify the efficacy and dignity of the spiritual marriage which subsists between us and Christ. In other words, brothers and sisters, (laughs) you are not your own. You belong to Christ. So let's continue to build the body, all for the glory of God. Let's pray together.